Hello. My name is Cameron Baker. Welcome to the show. Before we get started, I want you to know exactly what it is you will find here. Look in your back seat. Look under the bed. Check the closet. Look in all those unsuspecting dark places that should be empty. And understand that from this day forward, they will not be. If you continue to listen, every unlit hallway, every darkened street, the deepest section of the woods untouched by light, will be filled with unwanted things. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I first want to apologize for the tardiness of this episode. My work and home life were a little busier than anticipated, so I wasn't able to get this episode done in the time frame I expected. But I don't want to put out a rushed or unfinished project, so I hope you all will forgive me, but also appreciate the work that goes into this. I have some great listeners, and I'm thankful for all of you. And I want you to have the best stories and production that I can muster. I would also like to take this time to ask that if you do enjoy these stories, please leave us an iTunes review. Say a few kind words. Those reviews go a long way in finding new listeners to scare, and I greatly appreciate it. Now, to the story. This is another original of mine, and it is one of my absolute favorites. This is our first venture into the fascinating world of body and cosmic horror, a couple of my favorite horror genres. We here at Unwanted Things bring you Recurrent by Cameron Baker. Deborah Holloway, as usual, was up bright and early for her morning jog around the neighborhood. The mornings had gotten much cooler as October came to a close, so she grabbed a light sweatshirt to pair with her leggings and pulled her blonde hair back into a ponytail, and of course, grabbing her cloth mask from the table. After tightening her shoelaces and a few light stretches, she grabbed the orange door cards from the counter and headed out. As president of the Homeowners Association for the Willow Falls Housing Edition, she tried her best to fulfill her duties as the HOA president while also being nice enough to her neighbors to avoid being labeled a Karen. Asking politely, but firmly, for Mr. and Mrs. Campman to keep their grass cut to the mandated height of two and a half inches. Even offering to help them at times, as they are an older couple and usually don't mind or when she had to put on a smile and fake a laugh when Barbara Felcher rattles on and on about how you simply have to come to see our new patio, Debbie. You just bring yourself and I'll bring the wine. Rosé all day, ha 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 ha. When what she really wanted to say was, if you're going to put out those gosh darn plants on your porch, water them once in a while. 
and Debbie. She hated being called Debbie. She cringed every time someone called her that. It made her feel like a child. On second thought, maybe she was a dreaded Karen. Oh well. What's so wrong with wanting a well-kept neighborhood? Rather than work up a sweat and stop her run at every door, she decided to place the orange flyers on the doors in her designated area within the neighborhood, then circle back around for her exercise. Besides, all that stopping and going would hardly help her keep her heart rate elevated. So, after walking out her front door and down the front walkway, she turned left onto the sidewalk and began her card-placing journey. The door cards contained important information regarding changes to the neighborhood's trick-or-treat guidelines due to the pandemic. The new rules are as follows. Trick-or-treating hours will now be from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. instead of the normal 5 to 7, hoping to cut down the amount of time spent around others and encouraging people to avoid congregating for long periods of time. Costume masks are not suitable substitutions for cloth masks. If a plastic or rubber mask is worn, a cloth mask will still be required underneath. Cloth masks must have two or more layers of breathable fabric that cover the mouth and nose. And finally, hand sanitizer is not mandatory, but strongly advised. The list had a few more rules and regulations, but they were all equally meaningless and ineffectual to Deborah. If some ultra-deadly virus was going to take her life, she doubted very much that a cloth mask and hand sanitizer would be her savior, no matter how many layers the mask had. It took several minutes, but she placed the door cards on all but six of the doors in her portion of the neighborhood, and she was ready to be done with it and on with her day. The next home belonged to Bradley Graves, a single father of two, that recently moved into the neighborhood. Bradley was also quite good-looking, and judging by the way he looked and spoke to her, he found her attractive, too. He was a residential painter, and he would usually drive by her in the morning while she was on her run, but for some reason, his white van was still parked in the driveway. Having noticed this, she took a second to make sure her hair and clothes were in order and prepared a big smile. Never too early to hit on your attractive neighbor, am I right? She raised her hand to knock on the door, but before her knuckles met the door, it slowly swung open, revealing Bradley, with blood covering his hands, forearms, and white shirt. In shock, she felt as if she couldn't move or scream. She could only stand and stare, her mouth opened, not knowing what it was she intended to say, but at that moment, he grabbed her arm with a bloody hand. Before she knew what was happening, she was being pulled through the front door, into the foyer, and into a giant pool of blood. Stricken with fear as she was, her knees were about as useful as a glass hammer. They buckled as soon as her fashionable running shoes hit the coagulated crimson fluid on the cold, hard porcelain tile. As soon as her knees hit the tile, she heard the door shut behind her, and it was at that moment she noticed the smell. The first layer of this new smell was akin to the smell of copper or rusted metal, but it didn't stop there. There was an acrid, sulfurous, and meaty smell, like someone was torching rancid meat. 
Her knees ached from being thrown onto the floor, and her head was swimming. But as the shock of the situation dissipated, she decided it was fight or flight time. In her current state, she decided that flight was the appropriate response. So she began to retreat. Her hands and feet slipped on the blood-drenched tile as she backed away, first trying to stand, but unable to do so. She was reduced to feebly scrambling away on all fours, never taking her eyes off of Bradley, who, to this point, had not moved. He merely stood at the door, wearing the same grim expression, looking down at her. Her ability to speak had left the building the moment Bradley opened the front door, but the shock had faded enough at this point that she was actually able to feel, to more accurately assess her situation without panicking. Tears were running down her face, but she felt she might be far enough away to try and stand again. Her mad scramble, though, came to an abrupt end as her hand hit something new, something solid. She had been moving so frantically, the unseen obstruction caused her to lose what little balance she possessed, and she found herself laying atop of the obstruction, looking down at it. Her newfound resolve left as quickly as it had came as she looked over what lay beneath her. Taking in one detail at a time, she first noticed the light pink sweatshirt and the blonde ponytail. Oh God, she thought. He fucking murdered someone. She supposed she had already knew that he had killed someone, the apparent gallons of blood coating the entryway being the evidence, but a body. A body made it that much more real and she was touching it. Realizing she had taken her eyes off of Bradley, she rolled over the corpse with more urgency than grace and hurried to face the door, eyes searching for what could very well be her eventual killer. But there he stood, in the same spot. He hadn't moved an inch. The two locked eyes, him by the door, her on all fours, covered in dark, thick blood, breathing shakily anticipating movement and assessing her options. But he didn't move. Instead, his eyes went from her to the body in front of him. And after a moment of delay, her eyes followed. The stench of the house had gotten stronger the farther she retreated into it. And it was all she could do to not wretch with every breath she took. But as her eyes moved from Bradley to the young woman's presumed corpse on the floor, the smell was pushed to the back of her mind. This entire scenario had seemed unreal, unbelievable. But what she saw now, what she was looking at now, was impossible. The body she was looking at was indeed a young woman, and she was indeed a corpse. An exit wound had all but replaced her forehead, and though and though the sticky, thick blood covered her face, she could make out who it was, and she felt as if her heart must be as still as that of the deceased woman. For the deceased woman before her, the corpse she had stumbled over and now stared at in disbelief, was her very own corpse. The gore, fear, and the awful stench in the air combined with this new revelation was the last straw, and the vomit she had been holding back for what seemed like an eternity spewed forth, covering her hands. Her heart was no longer still, 
that pounded in her chest, and her ears were ringing. The world seemed to be spinning. She tried to back away once again, but her arms and legs felt heavy, useless, and she collapsed onto the floor, looking toward the door and Bradley. The world around her began to fade out as he began walking towards her. She awoke on the couch. She tried to scramble to her feet, but realized her arms had been duct taped to her sides and her feet taped together by the ankles. She let out a scream that, of course, was dulled significantly by the duct tape covering her mouth. She detected movement from the corner of her vision, and it was Bradley, walking into the room, holding a glass of water. With every step he took towards her, her eyes seemed to grow wider and wider as she struggled against her bonds, screaming and crying, trying to do something, anything, to get away. Her struggles amounted to nothing more than falling onto the floor, face first. Before she could think of what to do next, she felt hands on her sides, lifting her back up to the couch, wiggling and kicking in protest to the best of her ability. She'd been sat upright on the couch, and he backed away, grabbing the glass of water from the coffee table a few feet away. I'm going to take the tape off of your mouth, okay? Don't scream, or I'll put it back on. Moving closer, he gestured at her with the glass. You threw up. Do you want a drink of water? Her eyes burned with tears, and her throat burned from screaming into the tape and the taste of vomit in the back of her throat combined with the still remaining stench threatened to make her puke again. So, reluctantly, she nodded. He removed the tape and lifted the glass to her lips. The water was cold and her throat still burned, so she managed only a few swallows before turning her head and coughing. He sat down on the coffee table and placed the glass down next to him before putting his hands on his knees and letting out an exasperated sigh. Unsure of what to do now, of what was even happening, she said the only thing she could think to say. Please. She choked out through the pain in her throat. Please let me go. I'll do anything. She began to sob, and he looked up. I already tried. You always come back. He stood, rubbing his temples, and began pacing. No matter what door you go through, you always come back. And when you do, you aren't. He paused, turning to look at her. You. Now, doubly unsure of what to do, or say, she just shook her head lightly in disbelief, mouth open. But she had no words to say. What the hell was he talking about? She's never been in his house. She just knocked on the door and he pulled it open. She remembered the body, her body, by the door. God, this had to be a dream, a nightmare. None of it made sense. As she stared at him, blankly, he sat down across from her once again and continued. I don't know what is going on, and I don't know how to stop it. But I can't let you go. You never go. So just 
Listen. You have come to my house, I don't know how many times at this point, and every time you turn into something else. And then, I kill you. Before I can even think of what I'm going to do next, you knock on the door. Again. And it all starts over. What was he talking about? This had to be a dream. It had to be. Just some fucking nightmare. She'd wake up soon. She had to. Don't look at me like that, he said. I know how crazy this sounds, but it's real, and I... I don't know what to do. I can't kill you anymore. I just can't. At this point, she began to survey the room. A trail of blood led from the doorway behind her to the far corner of the room, and in that corner, at the end of the trail, lay a stack of bodies. Her bodies. A stack of corpses, and every single one of them was her. What the fuck was happening? He followed her eyes to the stack of her corpses and began to speak again. They look like you, but they aren't you. He stood and pulled out a box cutter from his pocket. She recoiled, and he held up his hands, speaking calmly. I told you, I'm not going to hurt you. I can't anymore. This has to stop. I'm going to cut you loose, and you have to help me stop this. Okay? Fearfully, she nodded. After he cut the tape, freeing her arms and legs, she stood, still unsure of what she should do. Attack him? Clearly, she had before. And lost. Run? Again, seems unlikely that she would succeed. And if he wanted to kill her, again, he could have already. So she stayed. She just stood. He could clearly tell that she was weighing her options, and he stepped away, giving her space, before gesturing to the stack of corpses. Come on, he said quietly, and began walking towards the bodies, back to her. She couldn't explain why. She couldn't explain anything in this fucking nightmare. But she followed it stepping over the scattered door cards as she went. Like I said, what comes out isn't you. As she got closer, she could see what he meant. Though they looked like her in most ways, but each one differed slightly in appearance. Some were nearly identical, with either a bastion head or stab wounds to the chest. Others looked less like Deborah and more like something else. The skin looked swollen and charred, covered in rashes and boils, like the nastiest sunburn you'd ever seen. That wasn't even the worst of it. Those were some of the normal-looking... Those were the nor... 
Those were the more normal-looking of the bunch. Some of the others had looked partially mummified. All the moisture looked to have left the bodies, leaving parts of them shriveled and gray. But the eyes... The eyes were all... black. And some of the bodies had begun to... deform. Some had elongated... Some had elongated fingers, or new appendages at the end of them altogether. Claws, or just a long, sharp, bony object protruding from the elbow. Some had a deformed jaw, with either sharp obsidian teeth, or a partial mandible in place of a jawbone. And the smell. God, the smell. It took everything she had to keep from wrenching. Not that she had anything left in her stomach to vomit anyways. Moving her hand away from her nose and mouth, she looked to Bradley and said, meekly, What the fuck is this? I don't know, Bradley replied, a single tear escaping one of his eyes. I just woke up this morning, started to get ready for work, and then you knocked at the door. A, a horrible thought popped into Deborah's mind, and she interrupted him. Oh, God, where are your kids? He wiped a tear from his face and shook his head before speaking reassuringly. They're with their mother until I got everything settled here. Thank God, she whispered. I mean, that they aren't here with us. She spoke again looking to the corpses that were mostly her visage. What are we going to do? At this, Bradley rubbed his temples and shook his head again. I don't know. The first time in... Uh, the first time in... The first time... <clears throat> I don't know. The first time you came in... Uh, look, this is awkward, but it's the truth. Deborah narrowed her eyes and cocked her head curiously. The first time you showed up, I invited you in. We talked. One thing started to lead to another, and... Deborah felt the blood rush to her face. He was right. This was a little awkward. She knew that was a fantasy she had played out in her mind, but now... He did, too. And he had played it out in real life. Sort of. She nervously touched her neck and smiled. Okay, she replied. What happened next? Bradley, too, appeared uneasy at the subject and quickly moved on. Uh, you, uh, you said you wanted to go to the bathroom first. You'd been out exercising a little bit and, uh, wanted, I don't know, to freshen up. The level of comfort the two were experiencing hit a surprising new low, and Bradley hurried through his next sentence. And, uh, that was when it started. I turned around to head to the bedroom, and before I could take a step, I heard the door open again. I figured there wasn't any toilet paper or you wanted a towel or something, so I started to turn around. But then there was this... smell. She nodded. She was... 
very familiar with the smell. It was like gunpowder and burning meat. Before I could turn around, I felt something, something cold on my shoulder. So I turned to see what it was. It was you. But it wasn't you. It was one of those things. The eyes were black, and it had a big fucking pincer or something for a jaw, and I just swung. I was scared. I didn't even mean to. The whole fucking head flew across the room. It was like they were barely even connected. It's like you died, and something was growing out of you or off of you. I don't know. He paused. She was just staring back at him with a blank expression. So he continued. Ah, right. After that, the doorbell rang. I didn't know what to do. I pushed the body over there into the corner so whoever was at the door couldn't see it. And then I looked through the peephole and saw you standing there. Completely normal. I thought I was losing my fucking mind. I opened the door and invited you in. I wanted to try... Try and explain the situation. Hell, I kind of thought it was a fucking dream. But you freaked out, and I get it. Believe me. You ran. You ran out the front door before I could catch you. The door slammed in my face, and when I opened it to follow you, that smell was there again. Stronger. It was so cold. And then you walked through the door. Even more fucked up than the first time. Your clothes were gone, and one of your arms was fusing to the side of your body. Your whole goddamn midsection was a mouth. You didn't even have a jaw anymore. From the middle of your face to your waist was just a huge fucking mouth with these big black teeth and a black tongue hanging out of it. I, I always carry, so I fucking unloaded it into that thing. And it fell back into whatever was out there. It, it was just black, and the thing just fell away like it wasn't even standing on anything before. And I slammed the door. And let me guess, Deborah interrupted. Right after that, I knocked on the door. He nodded grimly. After that, I, I tried everything I could think of. I brought you in, and I told you to stay here, and I tried to leave. But every door brought me right back. After a few tries of that, you tried to leave. And you changed again. Then I, uh, I lost it. I just started letting you in and throwing you back out. Killing you a, a lot. A lot of times. I just thought it was a bad dream or something, you know? I thought if I did it enough times, I'd, I'd wake up or it would stop happening. The last time before you, before I invited you, you in, I, uh, I invited her in. And I, uh, I just shot her in the back of the head. Deborah looked horrified. You just shot me? Look, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I thought it would end. I was gonna off myself, too. Then you knocked again. And I don't know, I had an idea. 
Deborah was trying to take this in stride, trying to deal with it the best she could. But she had no words, no replies. She just stood. And Bradley continued, explaining his idea. I have some rope. I want to tie it around you, and that way you can just go in, and I'll hopefully pull you back in, and you can just tell me what the hell's out there, what's happening. Hopefully, she replied. And what happens if you can't pull me back? Apparently, you just show back up at my fucking doorstep, he said, more agitated than he intended. I'm out of ideas, he said in a defeated tone. So unless you have an idea, he trailed off. They stared at each other for a few moments before Deborah nodded. Without another word, Bradley retreated to find some rope. The rope was tied firmly around her waist, and she stood by the bathroom door. It seemed as good a door as any, as they all seemed to lead to the same cold, smelly nothingness. All right, Bradley said with a sigh. You're gonna open the door, and I'll make sure the rope goes underneath it, and I'll stand here, holding it tight. You close the door, and I'll open it right back up, and you tell me what you saw. Trying to put on a brave face, she nodded and reached for the door. As she opened it, she heard Bradley speak. Look, Deborah, before he could finish, she was yanked through the door, which closed behind her. The force of whatever pulled her pulled so hard that it pulled him along with her, and the rope burned through his hands and passed out of them entirely. The rope gone and his hands burning, he scrambled up from the floor and flung the door open. There, on the other side of the door, stood not Deborah. Not the fit, attractive Deborah he knew well. He barely knew. But the one he had become much more accustomed to seeing. The rope hung at her waist, flowing into nothing behind her. Her face nearly mummified, save for the inky black pools where her eyes had once been, and the bottom of her jaw had parted, forming into pincer-like mandibles. Her mouth was open, and a long, black, slender tongue swayed back and forth in the air. Bradley dropped to his knees and began to sob. What the fuck do you want from me? He cried to the creature formerly known as Deborah. But she just stared back at him with her new jet black eyes. And he lowered his head, continuing to cry. He felt something cold on his shoulder, as he had earlier. And he looked up, prepared to have his face eaten off by some weird bug-human hybrid mouth. But it didn't eat his face. In fact, somehow he could tell that was the last thing it wanted to do. Her hand moved from his shoulders to his chin, 
and she beckoned him to stand. Once he was on his feet, she held out the cold, mummified hand towards him. She hadn't said a word, but now he knew. He knew what she wanted. And for some reason, perhaps it was out of fear of rejecting her offer, or maybe he was just fucking done with this, with all of this. He took her hand and followed her into the abyss. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed Recurrent by Cameron Baker. Please, come back next week for the third episode of this season. And if you find the time, leave us an iTunes review. Thank you. We'll see you all again soon.